If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Well, everyone, welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. We are mid-season right now. I actually shot a cow elk today, and I'm still in my hunting clothes recording this podcast. I've got blood on my hands, blood on my pants, but I needed to get this podcast recorded. And It's actually, I'm not even here to talk about the cow elk hunt, but a buddy of mine shot a cow elk last night, or his wife did. And so I went up, helped him pack out. I was like, where'd these things go? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, just down the canyon here. So the next morning which was this morning uh went back found the cows and and got myself some meat so it was a lot of fun you know i i enjoy chasing cow elk as much as chasing bull elk it's just there's nothing better on the planet in my opinion to eat than a nice delicious cow elk so got that all sorted and it, it was a lot of fun and now i'm back here doing a podcast but really this week, what I want to talk about is I want to recap the story of my archery desert sheep hunt from this season. Now, earlier this week, the film of the hunt was just released. It's called Ripple Effect. Now, the thing that I really love about doing this podcast is I get to dive deeper into the hunt than maybe the film can show. And I really want to give you some behind the scenes stuff and talk about the mistakes that I made on the trip and then we're going to wrap it up with a little tactic I call keeping it 100. Now, this pertains both to hunters and those joining on the hunt. Maybe you're helping out a buddy with a special tag, maybe a family member, whether you've got a tag or not, or everybody's hunting together. This is a tactic that you'll probably want to pay attention to. It's when things go wrong or when everything just starts to fall apart, when Murphy's Law goes into full effect. Murphy's Law, if you're not familiar with it, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Me and Murph are like this. I'm crossing my fingers saying we're tight. He keeps coming at me. Things go wrong all the time. But 
how you react really makes or breaks the hunt. So before we go any further, let's dive in and talk about the ripple effect. When I think of a hunting story, right, and what happens on the hunt, the successes and the failures, the things we did right and the things we did wrong, you know, sometimes it's a little bit longer than just what you might see in a in a short hunting film or or even a little bit longer than the hunt itself. What I'm going to be talking about, I actually, I drew what I would consider a dream tag of mine. This is in some ways a once in a lifetime opportunity. I drew a desert sheep tag in my home state of Nevada and it was an archery season. So they just started this where you could hunt, you know, apply for an archery only season and I drew one of those tags. And in on my like bucket list, this was the hunt that I really, really wanted to go on. So I got lucky. I drew the tag. I had a lot of points. I'd, I'd been applying for a long time. And this is where people are like, yeah, man, you've actually, I've actually had a desert sheep tag previously. I drew in an area where there was a massive die off when I was, I think 13 years old. Yeah, I was 13 years old. Um, I think it was 50% draws because there was no sheep in the area. And I ended up getting around, I hunted pretty much every day of the season and ended up getting a ram like the last day of the season, um, which was awesome. But uh, after that, it, it kind of gave me the sheep hunting itch. And then, you know, being able to chase sheep with a bow, very high on my list of things that I want to do and hunts that I want to go on, just an incredible opportunity. And so one of the things I, I work with Matthews and I, I love, I've loved shooting their bows. I love their bows. And one of the things that they do with people that they work with is there's a select few of us that get to kind of run around with next year's bow early. We get it in our hands, we get it tested out. And then if we choose to, we can, you know, film a hunt and they call it their proving grounds film. So I was asked if I wanted to do a proving grounds film this year. And with this desert sheep tag, I really jumped to the opportunity. I thought this is like, it's an honor to be asked to be able to do one of these films. And so I thought of no better hunt or no better tag to take this new bow on than my desert sheep hunt. So the new bow is called the lift. And, you know, I, I, when I get a new bow, it's like, you know, like, okay, what's different about this? And so I start to shoot it and I, I realize this bow is a lot faster, a lot more forgiving. And I was shooting this bow very, very well. And I think this is part of the, part of the whole story, really. Yeah, when, you, when you're talking about, okay, the, the Proving Grounds film, this, that, and the other thing, you, you kind of think about, well, yeah, of, of course, the bow's part of the story, but I think that it kind of all ties back. So generally, I'm the type of person I really like, like I'll get a bow that I really like and I just want to hunt with that bow forever. So being somebody that also works with companies that come out with new bows every year and getting to test them, it kind of, for me, I'm like, okay, sometimes I like to be very familiar with a bow. Other times, I'm like, okay, I'm a little nervous going into a new hunt or an important hunt with a new bow. However, I got this bow, I started shooting it, and I'd never shot better. Like I was very, I had a very high level of confidence with this bow for a new bow, for me. Normally, it takes me a little bit of time to really get in the groove with a bow, like long courting process. You know, I really just, I just like to be very familiar with it. This bow, I'd never shot better. Like I was just, I went out, actually when I was doing my sight tape, I go, I shoot a field tip. Yeah, I just put on my sight tape. So I, I went out, shot, got it to 60 because I've got the spot hog sight and you've got like a, a sight tape where you, you go out to 60 and it shows you the number. So I did that whole thing, 
put the sight tape on. I'm like, all right, I just backed out to 80, shot dead center of the bullseye. Okay, this is awesome. So then I backed out to 90, shot again, and just grouped it right in with that 80-yard shot. Those are field tips. And then I just got real bold, and I grabbed one of my fixed-blade broadheads. I had another target. It was also 90 yards, and shot and just center punched that. Like my first few arrows, I was like, oh, man, this bow is a shooter, and I'm shooting it well. So continue to shoot it at the range, shooting well. I don't think I'd ever gone into a season with so much confidence with a new bow. And that, to me, said, okay, I, I'm going to take this bow on this hunt that's very important to me. And I'm going to film it because I like being able to share these hunts. So decided to do a Proving Grounds film with it. And I'm like, this is actually pretty cool because, you know, I think when it comes to sheep hunting, especially with a bow, sometimes you're in just more open country and you might need to take, you know, maybe a little bit further shot. And I had the confidence in those further shots. Like there's not a doubt in my mind that if a sheep stepped out, it was going to be a good shot. And I was very focused on making a good shot kind of going into this process. So now let's go to the hunt. So I've got a bow. I've got high confidence in the bow. And I'm stoked on that because I, I just, I like that feeling of knowing if I walk around and a sheep's within range, it's on, game on, right? I felt a high level of confidence if I could find the right ram, it was going to be successful. So I go out, I actually went down a little bit early with my dad, we were scouting. And during the scouting process, I never actually turned up a ram that I was really interested in chasing. I didn't have a target ram going into this, which kind of was my plan going in of like, I'm going to pick out a ram and I'm going to hunt that ram. And it just, that's not how it worked out. Like other hunts ran long. I ran out of some scouting time that I had. The scouting time that I did have, I didn't turn up anything particularly crazy. It was just actually pretty small rams is what I was turning up. But there was a lot of nooks and crannies. Like this area was very broken, very large, like not super big, but just a lot of country in, a, in the area that was available. And so- good rams can be hiding anywhere. And I figured they're going to be in a pocket where wherever they're going to be. So now this is also part of the story of it's called ripple effect for a reason. If you haven't seen, it, I'm not going to like, I guess you're going to, this is a spoiler alert. If you just, if you haven't seen it, you can go watch it or you can just watch it after and listen to this podcast. I don't know if one will skew the view of the other. I don't think so. I think it's, it's in my opinion, one of the coolest films that I've been a part of, I think, but Anyways, the idea of the ripple effect is certain things are leading to other things, okay? <laughs> it's like just, and generally in this story, it was just things that were going wrong. So one of the guys that films for me or with me, Chris, he lives in Montana and his truck broke down after our New Mexico hunt. So he drove down to New Mexico, drives back, his truck breaks down. So his truck's in the shop trying to get parts to make it down to film on time. And I've got another guy that films with me, Max. So he's down. He actually flew in that day. So that, that worked out fine the night before the hunt. So Chris is driving down and he left plenty early. Oh, sorry. His, his truck broke down the week before waiting on parts. No parts come in. And so my dad had another vehicle. So he borrowed a vehicle and it was a old Chevy Avalanche. And I'm like, I think it'll make it. So Chris takes the Avalanche, but he's towing a boat because this area we can hunt off of uh, Lake Mead. So he's towing a boat and he gets like, 
I think to was it St. George or about somewhere in Utah, maybe an hour from St. George or something like that. And the vehicle that he borrowed from my dad broke down. So he calls and he's like, dude, I broke down. I don't know if I can make it there by tomorrow. So ends up, I don't even know how. He's a good networker. He figures out that someone there knows someone who's a mechanic, came and grabbed him, towed him in, fixed the problem, like radiator hose blew out. And I don't know what else I was the problem. So now he's going to drive down and make it there, but it's going to be super late. Well, he's towing the boat without any gas in it because he wanted to save on weight or something. And I don't know, he needed a, a certain high octane that just didn't happen to have in the few rural gas stations that he was passing. So he's like, oh, I'm sure I'll find it wherever we're going. So so he continues to, so he, he calls me. He's like, I'm going to come in late. I was like, yeah. He's like, I didn't f- fuel the boat up. And I, in my mind, I was like, we aren't going to take the boat tomorrow. So it's not a big deal. Just get down here because it's already, you know, any the gas stations he passed, he would have to drive way out of his way to go get gas for the boat. So he just decides, and they're like, all right, just get down here because we're going to be getting up super early opening day. And my plan was to hike a lot and cover a lot of country because we had this like cool weather snap. So it was just cool weather in an area that's normally super hot. When it's super hot, that's fine, but you got to carry all your water and we're going to cover a lot of like, we're going to cover a lot of ground. So if it's a little bit cooler, you sweat less and you burn through less water. And so you can get to carry less and you can just cover the country a little more and maybe things will be moving around more. So it's a really good opportunity. We can take advantage of it. So gets down, parks the, you know, truck and boat. We go out right off the bat, see some sheep, uh, decide to pass on them. And then we just continue to cover country. We end up walking a very long ways, you know, through a bunch of rough stuff. And it's toward the end of the day. And I really wanted to look in this area closer to the lake. So we didn't have very good service there, but there was one spot. We, I was up on a big ridge and got service. And where my brother was glassing, he had a little bit of service as well. So my dad and two brothers are there and they're helping me out. But they're also, we're all just spread out trying to figure out where the concentrations of mature rams might be or if somebody turns up a good ram, then we'll go hunt in that area the next day. So I call my brother Jason and I'm like, hey, we're really close to the lake and I want to stay here till later. And then, you know, it's a, I don't know, 10 mile hike back or probably even more from where we were at. So we had, my dad had his boat and then we had this boat that Chris towed down. So I was like, hey, can you guys come pick us up in this cove? with the boat and then we can hunt this till dark and then, you know, won't have to hike back the way that we came in the dark for 10 miles or whatever. He's like, yeah, perfect. We'll meet you there. So we're like waiting and it just seemed like forever before they got there because we're planning on figuring it'd be right around evening time when they'd get there and then, you know, we could drive back or whatever and check some other pockets. So, what I didn't know, and because we had no, no way of communicating after that, like even the, the canyons were so steep, like the inreaches wouldn't even work. So they grabbed my dad's boat, but my dad's boat for some reason wouldn't start. So they grabbed the boat that Chris towed down, put it in, but I don't even know, like just they, I, they knew that it didn't have a lot of fuel, like it was maybe a quarter tank, but they also didn't know how much fuel it burned a lot of fuel because it was a jet boat. 
Um, so they get in there and they, it ended up being a lot further drive because of the way that they had to drive. So they end up driving a long ways to pick us up in the boat, get to us. And they're like, we're pretty much on E and there's no way we can make it back. So we put around the corner to a cove, park the boat and have to hike eight miles back. So it's like a broke down vehicle leads to no gas in the boat. No, well, a broke down vehicle leads to another vehicle that breaks down that leads to no gas in the boat. Things are unraveling fairly quickly. <laughs> now we get back. Now we have to hike all the way back and it's going to hamper the next day's hunt because now we have to carry fuel back down to the boat to be able to get it out. So the next day, there was actually like one road that we could get in on and we did that and, and then got the fuel in the boat. And so very little sleep and a lot of hiking is what it amounted to, which is just funny. Max is like, you know, we ended it, we got to the water about 10 miles and he's like, at the end, he's like, I knew there was going to be a way, Remy, you were going to turn this into an 18 mile day. Like there's just, I'm the type of person that if you think you're done, you're never done. So we hike back to camp, whatever. We get back and now we're like, well, we're down here. We might as well go to this other area because, you know, the boat's here. So we go into this other area. We got there a little bit later than I would have liked. It would have been ideal situation. Oh, this is an interesting note that uh, while we were fueling up the boat, I ha we had some fishing rods there and the striper fishing was insane. Like, I don't know what it was. Like maybe the moon phase, they're just running in, pushing shad into these little coves. And it, it was awesome. Um, just for like, I took like three casts, caught three fish and was retired. I'm done. This is great. So we pull into the cove, hop off, take the bow up, walking and not seeing anything, but it's very hard to navigate, like very broken. You gotta go up and around and these little trails and we get to this spot and this one saddle just feels good. And I'm like, all right, we're gonna peek over into this pocket. And there's this big rock and it's kind of hard to, I could pick one way or the other. And I picked the lower side of this big rock. But I told everyone, I was like, kind of be ready because it just, this seems very sheepy and it could be tight in here. So we pop over and I'm just slowly glassing. I actually took my time is glassing, glassing, glassing. I take one more step and look up and these sheep kind of busted out at like 50, 60 yards. And there was a shooter ram in there. I drop down, I get an arrow on. And for my view, he was covered up in use, like just no clean shot. And they spooked out to about... 80 yards and I just give them that and they stop but same deal like there's no way I'm shooting that far with like a U below a, the ram and that's just not gonna work so I, I back out so I just sneak around the mountain and, and while they're staring at Chris who's filming maybe they're just kind of like confused and looking Let's see if I can get a shot pop over I'm 60 yards I start to draw back, but he starts to move. Then he drops down. I go the next ridge and kind of the same deal. He goes over as I get ready and, and it was just so close. It was a great ram, just big, heavy ram, old, mature, just exactly the kind of ram that I wanted. I want a certain look, like a big, busted, heavy end, nice, mature ram. So find that sheep, uh, lose that sheep. And that evening... I picked him up, but he was a long ways away, or at least thought it was, and then it got dark. So we go in again. We kind of, now this time I've got my brothers with me. We're glass, and we find the ram just a long ways away, and by the end of the day, get a stock, get into position. But he had just naturally moved off. Like, 
he disappeared, got over there. I saw him bed in, then he moved off and it just got dark and impossible to even, like it would not have even been physically possible to walk to where he was. So just no play. Next day, go back in there, turn up the big ram again. And it's, he's just kind of like, there's a bunch, we start seeing a bunch of sheep and we just found like the Mecca pocket of sheep. And so kind of doing that dance, like moving in, but he's moving off it, you know, like just naturally he's just pushing ewes and he's kind of interested in his band of ewes and then there's other rams around and they're all doing their thing. And so the sheep are kind of continually moving and they move with ease and then to get into position, this mountain, like the best way to describe it is it's a super steep slope of concrete covered in marbles. Like it's everything super loose, but it's super hard. So it's very hard to get any footing. You can't dig your foot in, but the top of it is just like, it's super slick and it's actually pretty sketchy in a lot of places like there's one spot where we climbed up and it was that you needed hands and knees and everything you grab starts falling and it was it was actually really dicey um there's a couple dicey spots getting in there and so now they're at this high point and you know this is like you'd lose them see them removing it and so finally it seemed like the ram was in a position where i thought that I popped over and I was actually too close to the sheep. So I was like 20 yards from a ewe, but I was on the same slope, you know, steep. So I could see the top of her head, but there was no way, like if the ram popped out there, I could never shoot him because it was too steep. He would see us essentially looking back skylined and his body would be obstructed by the hill, like the pitch of the hill. So I did not want that to happen. So I, I backed out, went around. It was kind of like this little cat and mouse game. I see the ram and... There was also now another group of sheep moving up the canyon to my right, which had another shooter ram in it, which is a good ram. But so that's in my mind. So I'm working around. So now I'm stalking the sheep and I know that the ram's like around the corner, kind of like dropped down, making my move. I'm thinking like from where I ranged and where I last saw him, he was kind of moving and he was headed toward the saddle. I figured if I get into position, he'll be about 60 yards. And there's a lot of other sheep around. So I'm moving into position and out from underneath my feet as I start to near where the sheep was, a group of sheep blow up from the top. I don't know if like they heard us and then go up. They were doing their thing. And I think like maybe there was a ewe that all these rams were interested in. There was a bunch of rams and they come up and they're 80 yards away. And I with my naked eye look and there's a ram that has that big ram shape that just has everything from my eyes view of I'm like there he is I pull up my rangefinder I range it and now I'm just focused on making that shot and this is fast this happens in a matter of seconds I draw back I anchor I focus in on the spot I know it you could be thinking like oh 80 yards I was 100% confident that when I was going to release that arrow it was going to be a perfect kill shot so I wasn't worried about that. Like it was within my effective range on this particular species because the one thing I've noticed about sheep is they don't jump the string. So that's kind of nice. Everything was set right, you know. I, I did not take, I didn't look at the ram with my binoculars. It was like naked eye, range, drawback, locked in. Like everything was perfect. Level, bubble, shot breaks, smoke the ram. You know, like, I mean, it, it moved a couple inches and you know I hit a couple inches back of where I was aiming it was perfect shot ram goes over and pile essentially like piles up in the bottom and 
There's something that happens, or I've heard of people saying, and in my mind, and this is me just calling myself out, right? I know guys that I know really well, and like actually some guys that really know what they're doing, and they've had a sheep tag, and they're like, they sh- they're like, I shot the wrong ram, or they shot the wrong ram. And in my mind, I've always thought like, how? I was like, that, how could you ever do that? Like, I just can't. Like I, I've hunted sheep my whole life. Like I've looked over, I've looked at a lot of sheep. I know what a big ram looks like. I'm like, how could that even happen? And this is a part of the story where I'm like telling on myself because it essentially happened to me. What happened was the ram that came out was a lot bigger than all the other sheep with him. And he had the right shape. And whatever. I think if I had just thrown my binoculars up, I would have realized like, I didn't necessarily think it was, or no, like the ram that I was chasing, but I thought it was this, maybe potentially this other good ram that, that could, and it was a good ram, but this other really big ram that came up. So I shot the ram and super stoked, you know, I mean, shot a desert sheep with a bow, which is everything that I wanted. You know, when I got up on the ram, the one thing that it was is it didn't, have the age class that I was looking for. And I actually thought that it was a different ram, essentially. So I was a little bit surprised because it had smaller bases and it was a smaller sheep than what I was chasing. But I think that one thing leads to another, like a breakdown led to a boat failure, a boat failure, not even boat failure, but like the no gas. The no gas led to this area where we found this sheep. Then it was like a blown stock. And then that led to you know, going deeper into this unit, chasing this ram, going in on this ram, which led to this sheep, which I actually thought, I mean, in my mind was a different sheep. So I don't want to take anything away from the ram that I killed, but I walked up on a ram that I was not the ram that I thought I was walking up on. Uh, And so I think one of the things that, you know, as a hunter, right, you've put in invested so much time energy thought like into this once in a lifetime experience and the thing that you know in in some ways i think it could be easy to be like oh man i I shot a great ram but but i could be disappointed because this wasn't the ram that i thought i was walking up on and i never even thought that that would happen but i also think you know i I think that that's a, a a common thing that does happen sometimes right like they call it ground shrinkage or whatever you know the ram that i shot had everything it was just in miniature proportion as small bases and was in honestly the size didn't matter but i think that a little bit for me as a sheep hunter like just calling myself out it was a younger ram than i wanted to kill but i did think it was this other ram that was in there so you know like when you're watching the video all that talking that's in there is like that's live as it happens so some of this stuff like that i'm talking about now you know there's no it's all kind of after the fact, like thoughts after the fact. But that brings me to my, what I like to call keeping it 100. Because for me, when I let the arrow fly or the bullet go, that's a very final moment, right? You can't take those shots back. You can't, if you make a miss, you make a bad shot. Those are things that you have to live with. If you shoot something that you thought was different, whatever. These are all those things. And one thing that, whether I've been guiding or hunting with other people, the one thing that I am very adamant about is like when you pull the trigger or release the arrow, 
whatever you're shooting at, be, I'm always happy with whatever I harvest. I was very happy with taking a ram, right? Me personally, I was a little bit disappointed that it, I, I actually in, in many ways made a mistake. I shot a ram that was younger than I was expecting. Still, I mean, the other thing is if I was hunting in a different area or whatever, like this might have been a top end ram for some of the other units that I applied for. You know, I just happened to have found a really good ram and was chasing that really good ram, right? But I think one of the things that as a hunter, as hunters, there's certain acts that a hunter can do that take away from the hunt. And that to me is the biggest travesty that a hunter could do. You know, when I walked up on that ram, you know, here I've got two people that just busted their ass. We've covered, I mean, in a short amount of time, a very large number of miles in some extremely rough country. We stalked in and made a successful shot on a desert sheep, which is not very easy to do. Like choosing to hunt sheep with a bow is a very bold move in some ways because you might never have that. You probably will never have that tag again you know, it might take a lifetime to draw a tag like that. And you're sacrificing like all those years of applying and, you know, some 20 plus years to get a tag of like, this is your one opportunity. You're going to choose to do it with a bow or, or whatever. So, you know, you're, you're sacrificing all that to get an opportunity to go chase sheep. So you got, you know, those things, but you've also got people with you and, and, so the thing that I never want to happen is to take away from, in some ways from, in my opinion, the sacredness of the hunt. And I have been, while guiding, seen this happen where a guy goes on a hunt and you're there and you're just busting your ass, you're guiding, you're doing all your things, right? Doing all things. I can remember specifically, this hasn't happened very many times, you know, but for the most part, like you remember him as a guide. It was like a particular week I was guiding in New Mexico. And just busted my ass and like did everything for these guys. And like just guys that were not even deserving of killing an elk. And the last evening of the last day shot the biggest bull that we'd killed that season. Like just a great bull for the area. And, you know, the guy walks up and just like, just a complete asshole. <laughs> like, why can we have done this earlier in the hunt? Yeah, it's not even that big, good of a bull. Like my buddy shot a whatever. He's just talking about his buddy who killed a 430, but it was in a high fence elk hunting place. And that's kind of what he was expecting on a free range like hunt. You know what I mean? Like just absolutely unrealistic expectations. You know, it just like it took away from the hunt and made me sick to my stomach, you know? And so I, I think that there's moments where things go wrong on a hunt. It doesn't matter whether you're successful or not things go wrong and then the hunt turns sour in some way or the wrong attitude takes away from the entire experience the thing that bummed me out the most about this hunt was the fact that it was over because it was one of the coolest hunts i'd ever been on it was one of the funnest hunts and almost that like shoot now this hunt is over it like hit me like i don't get to go sheep hunting tomorrow <laughs> this sucks man like but in my mind i'm like you can't let that affect how freaking awesome this hunt was how awesome the stock was how awesome the encounters were how awesome you know getting that shot off was how awesome everything worked out even though things were going wrong 
all around it. And in some ways, you know, going wrong with like up until even the shot, like I, I shot it a Ram that I thought was a different Ram, which I've heard happen and it happened to me. Like it was a mini head. It was everything, small bases, smaller, like it looked perfect and it looked big because it was just miniature. It's like a small bodied, but he was way bigger than the other Rams that were around him. So it just like, in my eye and in my mind, what happened was a little bit different. But when I got up to the sheep, it's like my brother walks up and he was a part of it. And he was, dude was just running up and down mountains trying to keep tabs on like where we were. And I don't know, he just like put in so much effort to just be there with me. He was miles away glassing somewhere else. I'm like, I'm hunting over here. And he literally jogged these these mountains and canyons and without water just to get to where we were so he could be there when i took my ram like i will never do it means so much to me like and so having my family there having him there and then being successful on top of it taking a ram with a bow like there was nothing like it you know but i've seen in instances where something didn't go right and a hunter can detract from the entire hunting experience that like very sacred experience of this is why we're out here. We're out here for all these other things. Yeah, things go wrong or whatever. You know, people can get sour attitudes. But just keeping it, and we'll talk about it, like what I mean by keeping it 100, keeping it in that positivity of, yeah, this is all part of this experience. And no matter what happens, I'm not detracting from this experience that we got to experience as hunters. You know, that's the thing about the podcast. I think I want you to watch the film and because like when I'm talking about it, when I shot on the film, I didn't really know that it was a, a potentially different Ram. I mean, I did, but I didn't, you know, I guess is the best way to explain it. Like I thought it was an older Ram, but I don't think that it detracts from the fact that like I was successful on an archery sheep hunt. I shot a great Ram that I'm very uh, proud about. And I had a phenomenal hunt, like an insanely good hunt. Like the hunt was so good that it was actually fairly depressed. Like that, the best way to describe it, like as a kid, the day after Christmas or like, you know, that little bit of like letdown of like everything was so magic and now that magic ends, like you you got, it's over, you know? <laughs> I think that that was like the, the part. I almost, I, I was like just kind of bummed that the hunt was over in some ways, but I think that the thing was, is just like keeping it hundred percent and just enjoying the hunt with the people that were there. And we got back to camp and we just, we had a good time. We cooked up some barbecue and we grilled it. And it was just like, it was just a lot of fun. We made some memories of an incredible hunt in hindsight, you know? And if there was a way that I could just do that hunt over and over and over, man, I would like, you know, I'll put in for those raffles or whatever, you know, whatever tags I can just to to maybe get a hunt like that again. But man, what a special trip for me. What a what an awesome experience. And then to get to share it with my family and my friends and to capture it on film was pretty cool. I, I think like sometimes I think people ask like, you know, I think the reason that I, I do the, there is a, a, an added challenge element. And actually to be able to be asked to do one of these Proving Grounds films was awesome too, because I don't know, I, I've, I think it's just, I don't know, it's, for me, it's an honor to, to be like, yeah, we get it. I get to test this bow. Cause I'm, you know, as a guy that's way into archery hunting, like being like, oh yeah, I get to try this new bow and, and, and take it on a hunt. That's really special to me. That was really cool. And so to be able to share the film, I think that was awesome. And then just to have that 
to share. You know, I, I showed it to my dad. We were driving uh, the other day. I took him out hunting in between guiding. And he's like, man, this, like the end of the, the film, like for him personally, he's like, man, this hunt like brings a tear to my eye. Like it's, you know, he sees his kids enjoying what they love and like remembering a hunt where we were all together. And you just cannot recreate those things. And that to me is like that sacredness of hunting, that bond that you share with the people that are hunting, the bond that you share with nature and the animals. And I don't know, man, I just, I, I love hunting. I love bow hunting. I like sharing it and, you know, telling these hunting stories and telling a little bit of like stuff you can't see on a film, things that are running through my head and the things that are, you know, normal and in hunting situations. And then I like to break down tips and tactics too, right? And, and share how to be successful. But sometimes I think, a lot of the success in the field, you know, it, it's a matter of perspective, right? Because I think about, I think about hunts that were real hard for me. One that comes to mind, me and my brother Jason hunting elk on a fognac for the, the first time that I hunted a fognac. I've since hunted multiple times, but you know, the, the first hunt and like, dude, the grind was, the killing elk was super easy, actually. It was the pack out that just, sucked right it just sucked like it was so hard and and you're like just i got sick and all these other things and i mean there's but it's all part of the story it's all part of the memory it's all part of the hunt sometimes it's just a, a matter of perspective and attitude when it comes to hunting right there's there's hunts that i've been on where i haven't even been successful or haven't seen any animals and there's just a freaking grind and you know i mean yeah those aren't the ones that you sh maybe you don't, you don't even have a photo to share because you're like, oh, it just, dude, I busted my ass, this, that, and the other thing, and all this stuff went wrong. But in the end, man, with the right attitude and and going about it the right way, it's a hunting memory that you just cannot replace. And I think that's why I love hunting so much. You know, it's like I got a buddy Ross. And uh, he always talks about like him and Murphy just like duke it out. And what he means by that is just stuff always goes wrong, right? I don't know how many hunting trips, like if you have, a, if you're towing a trailer, you're going hunting, the lights are not going to work on that trailer for me. I don't know how many times I've broken down, gotten a flat tire. Duh. I had a hunt where had a giant buck picked out, been scouting all summer, get up to the top of the mountain. My bowstring got cut on the way up and my bow or the bus cable got cut on my bow. And I ended up doing that hunt with my dad's bow, which was a left-handed bow. And I killed a deer with a left-handed bow. You know, it's just like, dude, stuff goes wrong, but it's how you accept those things that go wrong and just make it part of the experience, a part of the hunt in many ways it works out and in some ways it doesn't but you still got that hunting story and and that's the part of the hunt the things that really can't control are the fun part about hunting for me if i was to go out and just have this you know set up easy easy peasy whatever i don't think i'd be that into it personally you know because i, I just think it'd be like matt it's, it's not where's the adventure in that it's, it's when those hunts like you get the shit weather and you get all the things that go wrong, man, and you survive it. That's kind of the fun part of the hunt in hindsight, in retrospect. And sometimes it's the part of the hunt that leads to other things in the hunt. It's the, as we called it, ripple effect. So you know that I like to break down some tips and tactics. And what I'm going to talk about, it's not... Not necessarily a tip and tactic, more of just a mindset. And I call it keeping it 100. This is like something my wife and I use all the time when just stuff is going. It doesn't even matter if it's hunting. Generally, generally it could be anything. Just 
you know, situations that are essentially falling apart. Everything is going wrong. And we just like to each other, keep it 100. And what I mean by that is like, keep it 100%. Keep your attitude in a place where the things that are going wrong cannot phase you. As a hunting guide, and just I've had a lot of opportunity to get out with so many different people. Some of these people are people that I've never met. And some of them are guys that I've hunted with for years. And sometimes it's maybe with hunting buddies or family members. Doesn't matter. But I can tell you there's there's certain hunts that stick out in my mind where I, maybe I wasn't the hunter. But there was another hunt, you know, the hunter essentially like it kind of soured the experience as things started to go wrong. It's like, I, I mean, I can, I'll rattle off a few examples. Uh, example one, hunted with a guy, hunted with <laughs> these two guys. I don't know what it was, like just, I think he just got like major buck fever or whatever on a bull elk, missed the bull elk, right? And after missing the elk, it was like early in the hunt. Missing the elk, yeah, it sucked, just sucked. One of the guys, they both missed elk. One of the guys shot one of the tines off the elk, so he clearly was like not looking. We besides shot the rifles, and rifles were on. Everybody just missed. It was just whatever. Shit happens, as uh, Forrest Gump would say. I think does he say that? I don't know. Anyways, stuff happens, but like they got bad attitudes because of the miss, and essentially impeded the rest of the hunt because of that bad attitude. Which, as somebody that was guiding, is like, all right, here I'm still busting my ass but you guys have such bad attitudes like it hurt the rest of the hunt because they didn't want to continue to push forward because they were like well we met like they're just reeling in the miss right and then later on we got another opportunity which was a better opportunity and i think that the miss was like beat them down so hard that it just happened again <laughs> you know it was like <laughs> both missed again it was like a the first one was like more of a one, two, three situation. I'm like, all right, one guy's going to shoot. We're just going to focus on, I had him dry fire a hundred times on this elk and whatever. Still missed the elk. And, and, you know, <laughs> just like, but I, it was like the tone of the hunt was not fun. And had I just been with different people with a different attitude, I think we could have come away with that hunt, even with those misses as it being like, it was one of the best weeks I've ever had in the elk woods as far as like seeing good elk and getting into animals and just having opportunity. Yet their perspective of this hunt was warped because of the bad attitude affected by a miss. And what it did was it it made, it, it ruined the hunt. You know what I mean? For them, for whatever, like that's something that you don't want to happen. You don't want to ruin the hunt one for yourself or two, the people around you. Another example. So like in that situation, you make the miss, you recover from it. We talked about mental toughness and this is just another, I think I'm kind of beating this topic, <laughs> you know, but you have to because I see it happen all the time. Buddy of mine was on a sheep hunt with a guy. Guy lines up, shoots a sheep. You know, one of those things, it's like a lot of pressure on a sheep tag because you know it took forever to draw this that and the other thing sheep was smaller than he had expected and you know it went from like this should be this awesome moment where you guys are like stoked on the success of the hunt and this incredible animal and just like essentially became a little girl i, I don't know sorry little girls like most little girl i've got a little daughter and it just like when adult men act like a baby 
it's like get your stuff together and be a man. Like don't don't ruin this entire awesome moment in hunting because you sh- you you had some ground shrinkage, right? Like don't be like that. You keep it a hundred. Like be in and 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 be excited for what happened and the the hunt that transpired and the success that you had. Don't flip the script and and bring it the other way because it ruins hunting. You know what I mean? It ruins what the spirit of hunting is about. I think like we've, those of us that love it, you know, when you, when you encounter a situation like that, it sucks. And that goes for, you know, people on the hunt that are helping out too. I've been on hunts where I've had the tag or I've been a a party to somebody else that has a tag and there's multiple people around and like we aren't seeing or the weather gets shitty and like, and somebody's attitude just dive bombs. And it brings the atmosphere of the hunt down. It brings the experience down. It's like the the mem- like actually, and it does impede success because, like I said, with the mental toughness thing of like focusing on yeah, it's going to happen and, and acting like it is. When you're in the backcountry, and the attitude breaks, and somebody just wants out of there, the focus is now on leaving, not on hunting or you know rushing through spots and moving closer to camp and making decisions based off of not the best choice of action. Like, cause they've just got a bad attitude and they want to get out of there. I don't know what it is. It happens all the time. Like if you're, I try to make this podcast as relatable as possible with tips and tactics that really actually help, you know? And I, and I do believe that it does because I, I get so many emails of people like, yeah, man, I got success from this, that, and the other thing. I think this is just like, we got to talk about the stuff of like when things go wrong, how many, if you've hunted any amount of time with any other person, there's probably been moments where this resonates, where it's like even just a little bit of a bad attitude starts to shift the direction of the hunt and maybe you end up successful and maybe you don't. But I think in a lot of ways, sometimes that that attitude where they didn't keep it 100, where they were just like, you know, they, they decided to live it down here and it affected the hunt in a bad way. Dude, I've seen it. Yeah, as a guide, you see it for sure. I could tell some stories, but I think that people would probably get called out. And I wouldn't even drop names, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe if you run into me somewhere, at a, I don't know, whatever. And I, and I'm, we could share a beer and share a story. I could tell you some guide stories that I don't even think, <laughs> I don't even think I would talk about on this podcast. Maybe one day, you know, I've got a few of them. Every guide's got a few of those stories, right? But for the most part, ruining uh, ruining the hunt by not keeping that positive attitude if you're going on a hunt with someone dude just get in that mental headspace of keeping it 100 if you got a hunting buddy and you guys listen to this podcast and somebody starts to get beat up or beat themselves up or beat up the area and just like their their mind starts to go down that bad path tell them keep it 100 man like that's that's the best tip hunting tip i can tell you for for whatever, managing expectations, getting out in the field, continuing to hunt hard and really just preserving the integrity of the hunt and the memory of the hunt. Because it's those, dude, me and my brother on some tough hunts, like that's the thing I love about my brother, Jason. That guy, he keeps it 100, 100% of the time. He's been on hunts where some real stuff's gone bad. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think like the way that he turns it around by just keeping a positive attitude, never seen anything like it. Like it, it actually inspires me to, to continue when like just stuff falls apart. I think that that's just, that's all I wanted to talk about this week. Cause I think it's something that doesn't get talked about. And you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about too. When we're talking about one of the best hunts of my life 
And then still there's, there's that aspect of like, I don't know if I'm really explaining it well in the story, but I think that there was a potential to kind of really damage the hunt and the memory of the hunt, right? Because things did go wrong. But when I really looked at it, like all the things that went wrong led to our eventual success. And then even, even then, you know, not letting that take away from one of the coolest hunting experiences that I've had because it, it is a dream hunt. And man, it was absolutely the funnest hunt. I, I, it's the funnest hunt I have had in memory that I can think. I mean, it was just so fun. <laughs> it's like, man, you know, if I could do that again, I absolutely would. It was just a lot of fun. But I think that that's, you know, that's part of it too, right? Like we do this, we go out hunting, we, we want to be successful and we want to have a good time doing it. It's, it's very enjoyable. And even when it sucks and all those, you know, think about backcountry hunts that I've been on where just grinding it out and it just bad weather, lots of hiking, no game, just it, you know, tough one. And yet those memories are awesome memories for me because I just think about what we went through, the things that went wrong, surviving that situation and coming out on the other side. And it goes back to that mental toughness again, but also remembering to just, if you encounter a situation that uh, things didn't go your way, the best advice I can give you in the field, especially if you've got a lot of days out there or you're with other people, keep it 100. Well, I hope you guys really enjoyed that podcast. You know, with a hunt like that, and it is an incredible hunt and there's a lot of tactics that I could probably talk about, but I chose to talk about mindset because I think that if you look at hunters that are successful a lot and just guys that get after it, grind and just like they seem to always turn up what they're looking for and make those good shots. And I think a lot of that success is just you look at those guys and they're going to have a few things in common. And I think mindset's one of them. There's a, a certain mindset from all the very successful hunters that I've met and they they really know how to kind of just really keep it 100. They're, they've kind of nailed that down, you know, and that just seems to be across the board of the guys that I think of as just absolute killers, really. Like they just have that mindset on lock. They're able to just continue to grind and they just don't get tired. And that's, it's, it's so valuable. And it's valuable at preserving, like when you think back on those hunts, just, I don't know, it's just a topic that I think is is very good to talk about. You know, one of the things about this hunt that I probably, you know, another topic that I kind of thought of as far as tips and tactics was just based off of optics. Because this is a very optics intensive hunt. Dude, without good optics, like I would not have turned up very many sheep, to be honest. I had a pretty heavy pack with all my stuff. I had about two gallons of water, which that gets lighter. Water is great. You can carry water. I drank all my water. I just need light and load, drink some water. But then I had my big Razor HD spotter, the 85 mil objective. And then I also had Vortex UHD Razors, 18s, 18 by 50s. And then on my chest pack, I had my 10 by 50 UHDs. I went optics heavy. And then the, the 18 power binoculars, that, dude, that was the MVP of the hunt for me because I've used them a lot, but that hunt, like they just came in clutch. 
I talk about that a lot of just getting the best optics you can afford, having good optics. You know, I work with Vortex. They're a great supporter of this podcast, but I also just love what they've got. I talk about one of the things, I think I talked about this before, but I was, they were on a hunt with us. I talked about it last week. And I sometimes joke with them, like some of the, they've got different tiers of, of optics and their UHDs top of the line, their razors like top of the line, and they've got other levels, you know? And somebody uh, messaged me the other day about, you know, like, hey, which optics should we get? A group of guys going out for the first time, you know, they say, get the best you can afford. Should we get high end this, high end binoculars, lower end spotting scope, mid range spotting scope? I mean, it depends how much you do the thing too, right? But I joke with these guys sometimes. I'm like, they make something that's like mid-range. And I go, this is pretty damn good. And I don't know, like, are you just undercutting? You're like, we shouldn't make that one so good. Just as a joke. But dude, now's the time of like good optics. And you really experience that when you're on an optics heavy hunt and you've got something that you're relying on, like those uh, big eyes, your big pair of binoculars. And just being able to turn stuff up, you just shock yourself. Damn. That was good. The question that I got asked though from someone was, I would say, I think, I don't know. I, I think, man, putting your money into binos is, that's the workhorse. Binos are the workhorse. Spotting scope is more of the like finisher. You know, it's like you need it, but you're you're looking through your binos all the time. Uh, one of the things that this time of year, I'm all about saving a few bucks. So this time of year is the time if you're looking to upgrade your optics or whatever, there's going to be some Black Friday deals, Cyber Monday deals. You know, you think about these things and it's like, well, now's the time to, to think about them if you're going to because it's probably going to be the best opportunity to purchase something at a discounted rate compared to other times of the year. I always try to get the best deal I can. I do know, well, I don't know if I can say this yet because I heard about it. I was talking to the guys the other day at Go Hunt. They are going to have all the Vortex optics on sale for their Black Friday, 20% off. I don't know, I might as well mention it now because if you see a 10% off somewhere else, eh, 20% is coming. Some of you probably get mad at me for that, but hey, it doesn't matter. I'm saving you guys money. That's the whole point of this podcast. I can be as honest as I want. And it's a good, it's a good deal. So I know the Go Hunt store is going to have that. I was privy to that information. Now you're privy to it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Anyways... I'm over here just going rogue. Yeah, but I, I next week, that reminded me, because every year I always talk about some awesome gear and then it's always like after the sales are gone and that's just frustrating for, I would imagine, for everyone. <laughs> because, you know, the cool thing I love about what I do is I do get to test gear a lot. I get to test new stuff coming out. I get to test stuff from companies I work with. I even get a lot of just, I honestly buy a lot of hunting gear and try a lot of different stuff. I'm getting into some muzzleloader hunting. I've got different suppressors. I, I'm, I like my gear, man. I like to try everything. I just, I love hunting gear. I've, I like to, you know, analyze it and use it and see what I like. And there's some surprises out there. There's some stuff that probably a lot of you have never heard of that I started using this year and I think is, is cool. So might as well do a little bit of a gear kind of dump. Just talk about cool stuff that I, I got to try out or use this year or saw or something, some, some of half the stuff that I like, I'm like, oh, somebody will show up. I'll be that guy and someone, what's that? Okay, I want to try that, you know? There's a few of those things. And I, I'm going to do it next week because this will be on, next week's podcast will be on Thanksgiving Day. So you can listen to it and then it should be still in time for some of those Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals. It's like, 
I don't know if it'll be on sale, but I'm going to try to compile a lot of the stuff. If I find a sale on something that I like on my website, RemyWarren.com, if you don't know it, I'm going to try to put together, I did this last year and people loved it. Uh, just like a where sales are for different things. I don't know. I guess it's, was there, there's probably a website that does that. But if I see something that I like and there, I notice that there's a sale on it, I'll put it on there for you guys. So if you're going to gear up, if you're into gear, you're like, I need some new gear. Next week's podcast, I'm going to dive into gear. And there should be some sales on it right in that time frame. So it's like perfect timing. And save a few bucks and then use those few bucks to go shoot a few bucks. That's how I'm going to end it. That's, I should use that next week, man. But that's how it's going to go. That's how it's going to roll. We will catch you guys later. Uh, no, until next week, keep it 100.